kids this yeah. week. I don't know if you had anyone in particular that stood out. Um, Not to put you on the spot, you can take a pass if you like. Let me think about that for a second. I don't I'll share something. Not about Kim. And this is sort of a proud mom moment, so I hope you don't mind Sheena, because so often I feel like I kind of didn't get it. I didn't get it, you know? And um, one of my older kids just sprung into action in the last week or two, and I was just so, it was just God's goodness that she was, um, she had a friend who called her, it was at night, and um, basically the friend was in a wedding, and uh the bridesmaid or something was supposed to plan some kind of dinner afterwards, and she didn't plan it. And the girl was just like, what do we do? You know, Well, this child was normally very slow physically getting ready and different things, sprang into action and changed her clothes and said, come on, we're going to Walmart, will you go with me? And went and bought food and paid for it with her own money. And we got back and we fixed all this food for these people that we didn't even know. And then she served them out. We just finished this patio thing. Weren't even really with them, but she took it out there and served them, and it was, I was just like, "Wow, God!" You know, it was just so sweet, and it was just—it um, was such a blessing to see mm-hmm. that they are picking up things even when we don't always know. Yeah. And, and we should enjoy those times when we see them, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of other training <laughs> time that's not so enjoyable. Um, a lot of people at the office, it, it, it's typical. The, the thought is that the teen years are the, the crazy disaster years, and, and they, they, have their, they have their challenges in our world. We aren't finished with them. Um, but more, moreover, it was an enjoyable time, and I was going, look, by the time they finally got to be low-maintenance and quite enjoyable to be, be around, they left. <laughs> and I felt cheated because now I'd like, really like to spend some time with them. And that's a great segue into recap of last week. So we'll get going there. Daniel, do you mind opening us up in prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, thank you for the precious children you put in our lives to train and guide. And we ask you for wisdom. You give it, but we really need it. Help us learn this morning. Ask you, give us the ability to raise our children and that they follow you and love you. Please be with Smith, teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple things. There's the blue cards in the middle of your table, um, except your table, Teresa. So so, um, if you have comments around things, I mean, Danielle's great. She's passing them out. It's not attendance. It's if, if you have something that you'd like us to cover more or... What about this? What about that? Or, hey, this is hitting the mark. This isn't hitting the mark. I'd love to have that feedback um, so we can adapt in real time. Um, you know, we've been giving you scenario. Well, we did last week a scenario. If you have a scenario and you didn't know what to do, you can put it down. We'll put it in front of the whole class. Let everybody come up with a solution for you. <laughs> so let me real, real quick recap last week before I lose the segue that, that Eric gave us. So the recap was um, getting on the same page with God and your spouse, like um, 
how with God, it's like, are we really going to base everything on, on the scriptures and go from there regardless of what we think or what the people around us think? Um, and then with your spouse, how do you really work that out day to day, hour to hour, event to event? And then biblical responsibilities, the children obey and honor, the two hills to die on, obedience and honor. And then parents, what's their challenge? Um, love, 1 Corinthians 13, are you really living that out? 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, Be an exa- imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that goes to Eric's segue for us around, you'll see your children imitating you in good and bad ways. Um, and when you see it in the bad way, um, it's a challenge and opportunity for us to change ourselves. Um, and then teach. So if the parents love, be an example for them and teach. And the teaching when it was the Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 that we talked about last week, you know, when, when they rise in the morning, when you sit down to eat, when you go to bed, that you're, you're, you're putting God's word in front of them all the time. So that was that. Um, two weeks, we're kind of camping out in infancy through five. And then we'll go to the next stage and then the final stage as we go through the next six weeks. So um, we're going to be in chapter 14 of the book, if you care. We'll, we'll bounce around in there a little bit. But that's where we've jumped to. So when we talk about infancy to childhood, in the book you're talking from newborn to three to five, somewhere in there. Um, And what's the main characteristic of this stage for the child? And the book, um, it's change. The change that happens from infancy to five is just beyond really words to explain. They, They come to you absolutely helpless. They can't sit up. They can't feed themselves. They can't change themselves. They can't communicate with you real well other than scream, and now you figure out why I'm screaming. That's about all they've got. But, in fact, can I have the book? Because I want to go through some of these. So the physical changes that happen during those times, I already mentioned how, how they can't do much when they're first born, but in several months they're sitting, standing, toddling, walking. Um, they learn to run, hop, climb trees. They develop the capacity to manipulate objects. They can turn the doorknobs long before we think they can, and the catch releases, and they learn to feed themselves. There's no period in life in which physical change is so dramatic as those first couple of years. Social change is the same. The first relationship is with mom. Soon the circle of familiar people widens to include other family members. They learn their own style of relating to others. They learn what endears them to others, and they, they, they learn that very quickly and play on that. They learn how to seek approval. Um, the intellectual change, again, dramatic. The young child, um, every, every experience is learning. Curiosity abounds. And as you get to where they're verbal and vocal, um, we had the pleasure of having just Emmett in our car because the older two came in another car this morning. We did VBS in Sunday school, and she led for the 25-minute drive. We were the children. We were the children, of course. Um, she was even shadow. Yes, with the gravelly, as best gravelly voice as she could come up with. <laughs> but that takes a different kind of energy on the parent to, to engage in that and go with that and help them as they learn through that. Um, and if anyone's got someone in this age group, you know it's all the, the favorite question is why. Why, why does, what does that do? Why is that that way? And a lot of times they'll throw a question where you're going, there's you ask a question seven steps into the structure to get to the step that you're on. Like a, a big why. Why is this? Well, to understand that, let's go back to Genesis, which is not something you can do with a five-year-old child, so you've got to work your way there. 
Um, and during this time, they also learned to, to count, to tease, be funny, be serious. Think about what they do in that K4, K5, year one. Um, reading, writing, all the things that, that we just take for granted that they're, they're exploring and learning and doing. Um, and they also learn values, what's important to people and what's not. They're also developing spiritually. The development may be shepherded along the ways and lines of knowing and loving God or may be ignored, but both ways produce spiritual development, whether they're going to acknowledge a God or whether they're not, whether they're going to serve themselves or whether they're going to serve others. So that's just a quick snapshot of high level what's going on during those years. Um, so let's, let's do some of the examples. So on the physical side of life, just some ways, some practical ways of when you're in the middle of all of that, what do you do? And, and what, when you do it, what kind of um, behavior do you generate? Heather's going to give an example. Just stand up because I can't see your face faces. Um, <clears throat> the physical, when your child, you know, goes from newborn to these stages, there's so many ways you can, if your ultimate goal is one thing, a lot of times um, our reactions in any circumstance can can not be accomplishing that goal. So an example would be your child's learning to walk and your child falls down. And I was really bad about this because I would go, oh, honey, you know, I'd go over there and pick them up. And, and, and he, with having boys... Can I be mean for yeah, just a second? Ahead. When anything happens... I do. Uh, of sudden nature, <clears throat> Heather's first reaction is... <laughs> so if I'm driving and I see Not something happen, I, I, I clinch. Um, so, so anyway, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt, honey. <laughs> um, I was... We were in Texas a couple weeks ago, and my daughter-in-law just did it so well. Um, our little... Mm-hmm. Grandson is seven months old. Which we take no credit for her doing this well. We just observed it. She just was doing great. He he's learning to pull up and he can get um, balanced holding something, but then he just crashes, you know. And on one of those crashes, I was doing my typical, and she went, "Good fall, buddy. You're so tough." And he was crying, and she said, "Oh, you're okay." And she just brushed it off because her goal is to create a strong, manly man. And I created wimps, you know. I, mean, I, I didn't because I had him for a husband. He helped balance. He would go, oh, you're okay. Get up. Get up, Colin. Come on. Um, he would balance that. But just things like that in those, you know, change, changing stages. Also, going back a little bit to newborn, there's, y'all, we may have totally different opinions about this in this room, and that's okay. But for us, scheduling feedings was a very wise thing to do. Because it showed the child that they were not Lord of the universe, you know. Because like Charles said, when, when they're handed to you in the hospital, the only thing they can do is cry. It's the only way they can communicate. If you offer food every time, you're, you know, you're kind of um, saying, I will, I will always try to meet your every need. Um, and so for us, realizing for me, and you get these talks in the hospital by Lamaze people and, um, I mean, La Leche people. Anyway, that... You, you know, feeding on demand. Even the title shows that that might not be a good thing. Do you want your child to be demanding? Um, but, but you need to feed them. <laughs> so I, I think <clears throat> I think that's true. But I think for us, a lot of that was also that's the way we survived because yeah. um, we're wimps. Yeah, and and you know, but then there's that importance of 
letting the baby be a baby. So if you get a book, I was given a book, Baby Wise. It, it's got some really good things in it. Um, but you cannot order your life after a book if your child is not clicking with that particular mm-hmm. schedule. If, if your child doesn't want to eat at 7, 3, 12, you know, whatever. If it doesn't work that way, it's okay. I know my daughter-in-law, um, the same one who did the great reaction, she was so frustrated. I had given her that book as a, as a gift, not knowing that it was creating horrible panic in her because Owen was not following that. And he was still on a schedule, but he wasn't doing it exactly like the book. And goodness, that is not what it's about. What it's about is establishing what works for your child. And for us, it was different according to each child. You know, like our, we have three children who needed a lot of sleep. They took naps until they were five and a half, you know, that kind of thing. We had two. Mm-mm. It didn't work like that. They gave up naps at like 18 months. And it wasn't because I wasn't trying. I wanted them so badly to have naps. But they, they were done, and they didn't need that much sleep. And if we made them take a nap, then we were, at bed, we were getting them to bed at 10 because they, weren't, they were still... <laughs> They were still wired. Um, <laughs> go feed those babies. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they are so demanding. <laughs> they just got into a fight. <clears throat> All right. Then the the social uh, the social let, example. Let me make one comment on go that. Um, back to the parents on the same page. That sounded like we just clicked it out. We didn't. My oh, answer to every cry was, why don't you feed him? Yeah. I think he, I think he's hungry. So I had to be trained mm-hmm. around, okay, mm-hmm. diaper check, clean, everything seems fine. He's been fed. She's been fed. Charles, suck it up and listen to a cry for a little while. And check in five minutes. We're here. You're alive. We're alive. Ten minutes. You're alive. We're alive. After ten minutes, I'm probably going, please feed the child. And we got to watch Colin and Katie doing all that in Texas. They were letting him cry. They had the timer on. They'd go in and check on him. And No pressure on us. Because almost always, in almost every marriage, and y'all can raise your hands to testify, but <clears throat> there's, there's a balance. Like, in my weakest moments, he was strong. In his weak moments, I was strong. And, and sometimes you're the parent who's like, just let him cry. They'll be okay. Other times you're like, I can't handle it anymore. I'm going to go feed him. So a lot of that is survival, but your overarching goal is to train them that they're not the center of the universe. So whatever, however you can work that out. The other was social. Um, I also had, y'all know Emma, she'll say hi to anybody, but my other daughter, Lynn Laura, I've gotten her permission to share this. She's substitute teaching in another class today. That's why she's not here, but... She was the kind who, if you introduce her to somebody, she'd be like, you know, she wouldn't give eye contact. She would look down, and and Gretchen Fant actually helped me with this. She said, shyness is really a form of pride. It's, I care more about how I'm feeling right now than I care about about you. And this starts really early on when they're little. Um, you can start teaching them. And I had to tell Laura, we had to go home and talk about it. I said, your smile is a gift that God gave you to share with other people. And if you keep it to yourself, that is wrong. That is sin. You can't just say, I'm shy. That's an excuse. So those, that's an example of helping them socially in those changing years to, to be others-focused. The, um, the, what Charles was saying about the intellectual, where they're question, 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 <clears throat> my mom had helped me with this, too, with, with some other children, not just Emma, but 
the question time, the talking, talking, talking. It's okay to say, we are not going to talk during this car ride. Mommy's going to lose my mind if we don't hush. <laughs> and that's okay. And you, and that teaches them, too. It's okay to be questioning and inquisitive. But there are times where, for others' sake, you need to just... And a small interjection that I haven't figured out yet, <clears throat> and I think it's positive sometimes, and I think there's a negativeness to it as well. In today's world, if they're old enough, this is how you can keep them quiet for 20 minutes. I don't know if that's really good or not. I do it quite often, but... Educational games, of course. <clears throat> Part of it is the challenge and several So that was of you... more of a take that one to prayer and think about it because yeah. I'm in the same spot. Um, we, we have, she, she, they have these addictive tendencies, don't they, to, to do these fun things. And we've had to say, to our detriment, no. On this car trip, we're not using any electronics. You can look. In fact, in Texas, we did it. You get a penny for every cow that you see. And she, she made about 65 cents. So, you know, it's what you need to do. You know, you go back to the way we grew up, and there, there are benefits just staring out a window sometimes, having time to reflect and not be trying to, you know, whatever the game is. Um, the other thing is, uh, and I, I wanted to say this, so I'll go back to it, that those of us in here and lots of us have children who are a lot older and then little ones. And sometimes the older ones do need that time where it's like, Mom, could I just have you? Could I talk to you for a little while? And that's when you pull up. Yes, play on this phone. We're going to talk over here. And you just kind of manage how you, however you can. Spiritually, um, the, the change that they're, that they're going through, they're learning all about God and, and why they're here and who made them. And um, the other day, Emma said, Mama, why, how do we know that we're not in a dream right now? I said, just pinch yourself. You know, I, said, I didn't know. I didn't know what else to say. But I, there was a lady in a, the church where we got married. Um, her name's Kathy Merritt, and she had how many children? A like lot. Thirteen, something like. It's just a lot. Their last one had Down syndrome, and I mean, she she was. I just thought, how can you be stretched so thin? How can you manage? But I remember talking to her at church one time, and one of her little ones came up and needed something, and they did the right method of interrupting, you know, and. When it was time for her to talk to her children, to her child, she literally got down and she looked them right in the eye. And it was like that child knew he had her undivided attention. And it was so convicting to me because I am so project-oriented instead of people-oriented. And to, to realize that when I it is their turn, it needs to be fully their turn. Um, so that was, that was a good example to me for the spiritual development. Always have time or make time in a day at some point to to give them that, you know, fill up their love cup, I guess you could say it. You know, fill it up, make sure that their um, needs are taken care of and their questions are answered. We're the ones, we want to be the ones to answer those questions, right, and not have them find it somewhere else. So we're in the objectives. Okay. Sorry. So those are the characteristics of change, the physical, social, intellectual, spiritual. What objectives... What's the main objective in that infancy to five for them to understand? And um, the idea is for them to understand that you're an individual under authority. So Luke 7, 6, and 8 talks to this. This is where um, people came to Christ and said, look, there's this centurion. He's been really good to us. He's done all these kind of things for us. Um, And the centurion was asking for Jesus to heal his servant. And so Christ was on the way. And a messenger came. 
And you pick it up in Luke 7, 6. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the house that Jesus had left to go do this chore, the centurion sent friends to him saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and my servant, do this, and he does it. And Christ healed the servant, but he also, Christ himself, was amazed and said, I have not seen faith like this. The man understood that he was under authority, people under his authority. That's life. And that's what the child needs to understand, that we, we are responsible to more than ourselves in life. Um, one way that I did, the, and, and not everything has to be, we're going to now be teaching. Okay, sit down and be quiet. We're going to teach. But the child just doesn't work most of the time. So some of the ways that we taught early on, um, and my, my girls enjoyed this as much as my guys. I'll call it military drills, but it was really... Obedience drills. Obedience <laughs> drills, but it was fun for them. It was like they'd get on the floor. It would also get out the wiggles. It'd be like, attention, and then snap to attention, and they'd enjoy it. And then, you know, hit the floor, get on your back, sizzle like bacon, jump up and down, dig, run in place. And it got out the wiggles, but it also taught them how to respond quickly. Um, other things that we did, uh, particularly when they were really young, there were times when they wanted to run to the other parent for comfort or, or oh. it could be comfort. It could be, I just want you, but I, I was the one with the child at the moment. So it was like, you're going to sit in my lap until you're calm. And when you're calm, I'll put you down and you can go to mom and vice versa. Um, we had church practice. You're going to sit in a lap or on the sofa for X amount of time and be quiet. And, you know, you could do something while you're there, but practice. Um, a lot of times something happens in the moment. Um, we're, we're big yes, ma'am, yes, sir people, um, and, and you miss that. So it's like time out, let's try that again, do over, or a bad attitude, a roll of the eyes, you didn't respond properly. Time out, okay, let's try that again. And sometimes it's a three or four time try to get it right. And it's practice just like any other skill that we do in life. Practice the outcome that you want. Um, what does that require on the parent? Discipline. It requires discipline. Time. Effort. It requires effort on the parent. It's a whole lot easier sometimes to just let it go and ignore it. But if you aren't consistent all the time, you don't get the outcome that you want. And that always comes back to us. And when more children are ganging up against you, it takes more and more effort to really be consistent across all of that. Um, so again, in this whole objective under, they need to understand they're an individual under authority. Um, we need to help them have a Godward focus. They need to understand that there's something in it for them as well. We've, we've hit this verse a couple times already, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. So that whole, it's described as a circle of blessing, um, that being in the honor of obedience. 
And it's for their sakes. It's for their protection. It's for them to have an enjoyable life. I don't know that you're going to get in that intellectual conversation at five, but I have that conversation before they hit their teens because they're ready to understand the fullness of that conversation. I remember having a conversation with one of our teens where I said he, he was headed down a path in his teen years that was not good. We were finding ways he was not submitting subtle, but definite. And I sat with him. All these things always happen when he's out of town for some reason. But that particular time, I sat him down and I said, this time, these these teen years, I think he was a rising 10th grader at the time. I said, these teen years can be a time of wonderful fun and sweet fellowship in our family. We can have a blast together because you're becoming an adult. I said, or they can be hell on earth. It is your choice because while you're under our roof, you are going to submit to our rules. You can either do it willingly and everything go go well, or you can be against us all the time, and it's going to be like this. And I said, and it grieves me to think that it would be that way, but we, we love you too much to let you just ignore the rules. And also reminding them that that part that it says um, that it that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. <laughs> um, but it's it's not that you're on their team. You want them to thrive. You want them to have a wonderful life. And re- you remind them of that from the time they're really, really little. And all the way up, you don't stop when they hit the teen years. You keep saying, I am on your team. I love you. And and they they will have times where they think we are from a different planet. But anyway, it's it's all for their benefit. And for the guys who've been on any kind of team with the, with a really strong coach, you don't always love that coach day to day. You oftentimes look back and, and like what they were able to pull out of you. Uh, but in the moment, there's not always that warmth. <laughs> um, what, then we'll move, we'll move on to after this one more comment. Respectful teens are not developed in the teen years. They're developed in one through five. That's where you lay the basis. That doesn't mean all is lost if you didn't do it in one through five. But if you can do it in one through five, you set the stage for those later years. So um, Godward focus, <clears throat> circle of blessing, which is honor and obedience, consistency. We talked about this. The rules are the same every day. They're clear. They're enforced. Um, and Heather, if you'll give the example, you never... Never allow them to disobey without dealing with them. And this gets back to your own energy level. And, oh, man, do I really have to do this now? Sometimes I've caught myself. And, and well, give the example. Then I'll talk about me catching myself. Well, the first thing with, with consistency is is the whole goal here is um, is rescue. You know, we're trying to rescue our children. They're not born good. They're not born in a safe place. They're born sinners. So the goal is to rescue them. So when you make the rules and you make them together, they need to be the same every day. They don't change. You know, I mean, yeah, they change with age and they change with, like, my kids can watch more TV in the summer than they can the school year, that kind of thing. But but they know. They know what to expect. They're, they're clear and they're enforced. Charles and I were talking about if we could impart anything else if it was just one thing that that y'all remember and pass on to other young families and couples is not to allow your children to disobey without dealing with them like he just said because that's where you lose ground 
And that's where the disrespect comes in. And that's they, they won't respect you if they know you're not going to enforce what you say. Um, the, the example we thought of um, was we, we were traveling. The, it was when I just had two boys, and Austin was about... I don't remember how old he was. He, he didn't have any teeth, so it had to be under one. Um, and and Charles, I told y'all, he's more of the safety, you know, physical safety more than I am. I would probably tend to give more solid foods quickly and let him just gum it, and he would be more like, no, you got to cut it up. They're going to choke. And so I'm I'm there without him, and my mom took my sister and me to a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant, and Austin wanted those chips. And I thought, if Charles were here, he would not want him having those chips. Um, and my mother wanted to give my son a chip, and he was starting to fuss. And I should have just taken him out of the restaurant and spanked him and whatever, but he was doing that, uh, 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 just that constant, constant, oh, uh, fussing. Um, and I tried to give him his Cheerios, wanted nothing of it. Um, and I had to stick to my guns to the point that my mother walked out of the restaurant and sat in the car. Our food hadn't even come. I ordered it to go. I was so embarrassed and so humiliated. I wanted to please my mom in that moment, but I knew I gotta I gotta stick with what I know my husband would want me to do. And I learned later on better ways to deal with Austin. But at the time, I, that was me not allowing him to win. You know, to win that that particular battle. It was like I said, you can't have him, and that's what we're gonna do. Um, the other thing is. This this begins earlier than you think. Um, Colin was about nine months old, and he started ha- having little fits and things. And I remember being at my mother-in-law's house and saying, do you think he knows what he's doing? I mean, and she said, oh, he's been knowing. And I said, really? Like, should I start, you know, like giving him a little? And she said, oh, yes. And I could not believe the difference once I began and so she started teaching me you know these are the these are the signs of where they know what they're doing for instance you lay them on the diaper changing table for a diaper change what's the first thing you notice when they're starting to have that little attitude what's the first thing anybody know back arches that i don't want to do this or the throwing the feet over and you have to fight them to get the poop diaper off and that's really fun um that's when you first begin to see they know what they're doing. They're aware enough to know we're going to have a diaper change. They're aware enough to know I don't want to have a diaper change, and I will show you that I don't want to have a diaper change. And what I started doing was just a very, just an attention grabber pop on their bottom. Um, and it would shock them, and I would say, no. I wouldn't, never got mad, just no, be still. And start to teach them those things. That's showing them they're an individual under authority, and you don't get hoop smeared all over the place. So that's a good thing. Um, then the whole what Charles said when they're when they're you know say I've spanked them or he spanked them or somebody's had to fuss with them. They kind of want the other parent saying no, I love you. You're going to sit in my lap for a minute and making them submit to that parent in that moment is also very important. And we'll go into, so the way the next this week and next week are set up is this week is really just, here's what you're trying to do. We're going to spend more time on how you get that done. Next week, we'll do the same thing with the other age groups. Here's what you're trying to do. Here's practical ways to try to do it. Um, 
so again, with consistency, the rules are the same every day. They're clear. They're enforced. You don't allow them to disobey without dealing with them, no matter how tired you are. Um, I, I would say that this gets more into method, but I want to put it in here. You have to deal with them when it happens, no matter how tired you are, but you have to make sure you're ready to have that engagement. There's many a time a child went, was sent to the room because I needed a moment to compose myself before I went there. Um, you, you never deal with it. I don't think you ever deal with a child in anger. So if I need a minute to compose myself, put some distance there. It's probably the worst time of their life as well. It's like, I know it's coming, and I'm having to wait for it. But you need to come in, and you need to be the loving parent, even in a disciplined mode. Um, so anyway, rules are enforced. But there needs to be a process of appeal, especially as they get older, um, even older in this age group. So in, in the book, and I agree with it, it says you can't accept obedience only when your children are convinced that you're right or fair. So the right of appeal is not the right of negotiation. Negotiation, we open up a discussion about what I'm going to do and what you're going to have me to do, and then when we come to an agreement, then something happens. That's not what we're talking about here. Appeal should happen as they're in the process of obeying what you told them to do. Um, and that's a fine line, and kids will find the fine line, and they know where it is, and they will dance on it, and you have to, you have to watch yourself on that. So... The example of an appeal, and this is an older child at this point, um, probably a later teen, but Daniel, what Daniel did in, in the first chapter of the book of Daniel, where they're taken away to Babylon, they're, they're, they're an elite group set aside to be trained to do things for the king in the future, you know, they're, they're the leadership group that got picked out, and okay, here's the food you're supposed to eat, and here's the training you're going to go through. And that was going to go absolutely against everything that Daniel knew God was to have him to do from a food perspective. So he approached with an appeal, an appeal that was in the best interest of the person who was in charge of it. And when, when that appeal was granted for a time, we'll check it out. When he saw the results, when he saw the outcomes, well, then everybody got to do what Daniel did. I'm not sure if that shot Daniel's peers... Um, love of him up very high because I'm sure they, they enjoyed what they were having. So, but, but an appeal process, one, it has to be respectful, but it's also a safety check for the parent. When I do something capricious and I've caught myself doing it, I've, out of my own convenience, I don't want to do such and such, no, blah. And then I find myself having to enforce it going, you idiot, why did you do that? Because it was really just because you didn't feel like doing it. And now you're spending more time enforcing it than you would have if you just let it go. And it's not really fair on the kid. So an appeal process is also a quick check on us to help us. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not a perfect parent. Um, so it's, it's, it's a check against us being arbitrary or careless in the part of being a parent. And it's a safety valve for the kids. I'm not just a robot. I'm not in jail for 18 years until I can get out of this place. I have an appeal process, and hey, every once in a while it works. Um, I'm not just in jail here, and I'm not just under a, a tyrant, whether they be a nice tyrant or a, or a hard tyrant. I have an appeal option. Um, can you get me 141 and the uh -huh. bed option? Imagine your child is reading in bed. It's time for lights out. You could simply throw the switch. You could tell them to shut off the lights. 
Either way, the child's duty is to obey. Or you could ask, how many pages to the end of that chapter? Oh, only a page and a half? Okay, you may finish and, turn, and then turn off the lights. As a wise parent, you must exercise sensitivity to your child's needs and wishes as you provide direction. Your true desire is to imitate godly authority that is truly kind. And so the whole, what, what's the pattern for appeal? The, pa- the first pattern is oh, the, the beginning of obedience should start while the appeal is being made. I am so bad about that with Emma. Emma is the negotiator, and she's ready to negotiate from the get-go. And it's easy to just fall into the negotiation instead of, wait, hey, let's start down the path of what we said we were going to do while we had this discussion. Has that just happened to me? No. We, okay. In fact, in Texas, I was there with my newborn granddaughter, and she, I guess it was just being away from home and not having my as much attention as she's used to having. And um, it was it was so bad. It was becoming every time I gave her a, an order, she would say, "Well, what about the? You know, let's do it this way." <laughs> Sorry. And probably the term I use the most with Emma is, "You are not in charge." I have to say that often and remind her of that. And um, and she's even said it as a baby. She'd say, "You're not in charge to um, Austin, to to Austin Ryan, or, yeah, or Ryan Laura. and Laura." But um, so I said, well, "How will it help you?" Because I've got to give you a reminder when you start opening your mouth and, and coming back to me with back talk, we call it back talk. I say because she's not really old enough to make a valid appeal quite yet, um, but she, I, we she does sometimes. But she, I said, what if I say Emma and she said, Mama, say the word habit, because I told her it was becoming a bad habit. I said, okay. So from now on, whenever she starts to just it's just pure back talk, not a really appeal. I say habit, and she'll go. It's like, it's our secret. I remember. I need to work on this. And so that's how we dealt with that. So. so, again, the pattern is they need to begin to obey, and then let's have the appeal. Um, they need to be prepared to take it either way. If I make the appeal and lose, I should still obey with a good attitude and timely, just as if I had won the appeal. Um, the appeal needs to be respectful with a gracious spirit, again, whether granted or not. And... Um, I'll attribute this one to Gretchen as well. You can lose your right to appeal if you abuse, if you the abuse privilege. the privilege. <laughs> it is a privilege. Um, and one requirement that we often did more more so with the next stage up is: Do you have new information to put into this? Because if you don't, we don't really need to discuss this. Um, I don't typically do that in the five and under. They're, and they're saying not there I really, yet. really want to is not, not new, new information. information. <laughs> And then the third, the last part of that is for us. Try to say yes unless there's a real reason to say no. Now, I love my mom. Um, as I get older, I understand just how much she did to me. Did for me, sorry. <laughs> I'm about to say what she did to me. Um, but the one thing she would do occasionally in my older childhood that just, oh, it just went the wrong way was, uh, I'm looking to do such and such and so and so. No. Can you tell me why no? Because you haven't had a no in a while. (laughs) That's really an intellectually valid reason to say no. And, you know, I've lost at the point I go down that path. Um, So it's a good check for us. If if there's no real good reason to say no, say yes. Um, That I'm tired isn't a real good reason to say no. Um, And for those of you that, I think it's interesting, um, how many have had your children in fairly short succession? And how many more spread out? 
I would offer you pay either way. <laughs> because when they're young, you've got these years of just intense time. When they're scattered, when you get the youngest one down, the middle ones are having their last froth of the evening. And then the older ones come in for the intellectual discussions of life, and you never sleep again. Um, which is similar to when you have them all packed together up in one stage. So a couple things we want to do before we get out of here today is just go through a couple scenarios. Um, and you can discuss them at the table. I think our tables are populated enough to do that. So the first one is just, um, let's say there are four or five, and the challenge is, on a regular basis, down the steps they come, um, after they've put to, been put to bed, I'm afraid. Break out at the table. How do you approach it? What are you, what are you looking for? And what do you do? Take like five minutes. What do you do with that scenario? I'm afraid. This is where you talk to each other. Okay, take about one more minute. spectacular failure example. When we were in Australia, um, I worked long hours, I was more tired than usual, and Ryan was an older child at this time, but he was like eight, nine. He comes downstairs one night. All of our older children at some point did sleepwalking events, and they're just standing beside you at the sofa going, I gotta go back to bed. He came down and said, I had a bad dream, really bad dream. Okay, what, what happened? Laura, poison my sheets. Okay, go back to bed. <laughs> it was that fast. Go back to bed. It's like, eh, I might should have spent a little bit more time there. The sheets are poisoned. The sheets aren't poisoned, and it's okay to go back to bed. I didn't do any of that. I didn't go back to bed. So what, what, what first things did you want to do in that instance? Find out what, what they're afraid of. What are they afraid of? Determine if it's a valid fear. Is it a valid fear? I think that's the first one is like, is this real or is this, you ran, you know, I've already given you water and I've already done this and this is the next thing on the list to try to extend the evening. So is it real? Is it valid? So if it's, if it's not real, I assume it's like, back to bed you go and let's not do this again. Um, if it's valid, what do you do? Well, I'm saying talk about it and find out. 
why they're why they're afraid. Usually they're afraid of something they unknown or there's something that if they understand fully then they won't be afraid as much. So try to like, figure out what the details are. Yeah, and, and I find that all gets into one big mishmash of of challenge over time. Because when it is real fear, it's comfort, it's let's try to get through this, whether it's irrational, rational. I haven't found many of my younger children to be terribly rational creatures. <laughs> fear. Later. Um, and so that usually means take them back up, get them settled. And that's fine. But then that can turn into, well, I really like that treatment. That's where I like to go to bed. And that's where it gets really challenging to split the hair. Um, so anyway, I'll leave you with that. Next week we'll go more into, probably do more of these and also get more into how, how do you do it? How do you walk it day to day in that infancy through five? And then we'll launch to the next group um, week after next. Questions, thoughts, comments? Yes, I was going to say, talking about fears, um, so one of my older boys had a fear of our house catching on fire, and I, we don't know where that came from, but I mean, it was to the point where, like when we were talking at our table, we were saying that having a roommate helps so much because like, our kids don't really say, I'm afraid, so if they say it, you're, I would tend to believe them because that's not a common thing, but this particular child was just afraid every night to go to bed because he, he thought that our house was going to catch on fire. And so it was to the point where we had to, every night before we go to bed, talk through our fire escape plan. We had practiced our fire escape plan, and we put an emergency ladder and showed the boys how to to um, launch it, you know, if they had to use it, and, you know, talking about breaking a window, I mean, the whole thing. And so... It was a long, drawn-out process because this was like months of doing this. But eventually, you know, he, he sort of got through it and realized, like, I really don't need to be afraid. And then I had a child who was afraid that a wolf was going to come through her window every night. And so she couldn't. So, like, the way we remedied that was, um, and this is a second-story bedroom. <laughs> so um, we had to move her bed. And so it's like some of these are really, you know, our house could catch on fire. That's very likely. I mean, in terms of comparing it to a wolf running through the window. <laughs> um, but both of them we had to take very serious. And so I think that that's the other thing is don't just say, don't be dismissive because to these kids that, you know, that she, I mean, she really, even though it was like you couldn't, even though we've tried to explain many times, a wolf is not going to go through your window. To her, she just, she, she didn't believe that. It was a very probable Thing that can happen. Yeah. That's another example of where you're showing them that you're on their side, you're right. on their team, yeah. you're fighting for them. You're going to help them. Through this. A couple of times, shivering with fear. And yeah. You don't just throw them back. Real quick. Yes, sir. My dad was always spiritual with me about it because I had a fear when I would go out in the dark. I would always have to do something in the dark. I can't remember what job it was. But there was this stump in the neighbor's yard that looked like a witch. <laughs> you know, it was just like, my dad was like, just keep saying to yourself, what time I'm afraid I'll trust in me. You know, the Bible verse, you know, it was just like, and I did that many times. I'd go to practice at church at 6 a.m., you know, when I was like eight, you know, it was like everything's dark and like spooky and like, where's your trust? It's not really in the parents anyways in the end. But, but that's a great training example as well of, of what your dad did there. I, I hate running more than anything in my life. 
but that's also a really good time to go back to the Bible scriptures that you know um, and, and spend time on that because you don't want to think about the other thing you're doing at that moment. So anyway, good stuff. Okay, let me close, and we'll get back to uh, the comment cards for anything that you'd like us to focus on more or alter or change that would make it better for you. Your table doesn't have any, but I'll bring some too. Oh, you do. You do have. Okay, great. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the blessing of children. Um, Lord, sometimes it feels like a, a challenge, but, but thank you for the blessing that they are. And um, Lord, help us to take the time to invest and take the time to do what they need, um, even when it's inconvenience, inconvenience to us. Help us to be an example that we imitate you and show them how to live a life that reflects you um, throughout their growing up years and that they would honor you as they go into adulthood themselves because of the example that they saw, because we were committed to you. Lord, do that in our own hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.